I'd like to welcome you this morning to our worship service at West Irwin Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us this morning, we'd like for you to stick around for a moment after our services that we might introduce ourselves to you. We want you to know that you're a welcome guest and we invite you back at every opportunity that you're able to be with us. If you're live streaming from home today, we're also uh, pleased that you've chosen to be a part of our, our worship assembly. We're going to begin this morning by singing number 162, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. <clears throat> All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him of majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him of majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may We'll join the everlasting song and praise him, Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and praise him, Lord of all. I sing praises to your name, O Lord, praises to your name, O Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name, O Lord, praises to your name, O Lord, for your name is great. And greatly to be praised. I give glory to your name, O Lord. Glory to your name, O Lord. For your name is great and greatly to be praised. I give glory to your Shepherd's Prayer, led by our brother Ken Culpepper. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known, nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know whom I have believed and am persuaded Unto him against that day, I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of. 
morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. You know, Satan's always tried to convince man that man is the pinnacle of intellectual thought. When I think about that and I see the news and uh, my thoughts go to uh, Romans chapter 1, Verse 21-22. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This event is intended to educate us and our guests on how great our creator really is and the evidence that is in the Bible that proves that. It's, uh, we're excited about it. We encourage each of you to be here for it. Some uh, bullet points that Bill kind of gave me about this to help keep me straight. It is Saturday, next Saturday, October 23rd, 24th. It starts at 10 on Saturday, 9 on Sunday. Lunch is provided both days, and it's not too late to register. And uh, this is the next bullet point's kind of broken down, I think, almost in generational code. Because uh, the first one is a QR code, if you know what that is. Uh, the next one is the West Irwin website, which I sort of know what that is. And the next one is a paper form that you can fill out on the table, and that's probably what I'll be doing. So, uh, anyway, let's see. Please wear your West Irwin badges on Saturday and Sunday also. And uh, the, we're asking the members to either park behind the Family Life Center or in the parking lot across the street on the south side of 
West Irwin over there to help give our guests plenty of room to, to park, and we're hoping we're going to need all of the parking area. So please uh, pass it along to your coworkers. I know I, there's several young firemen I work with that have kids that are in middle school, high school, and uh, as I've told you before, you know, at that age, I, I was uh, uh, informed by a very intelligent man that uh, I had a lot of respect for. And uh, his name was uh, James Wicks, and, and he did that at the beginning of every semester that he taught at TJC, teaching chemistry. And it was very influential for a lot of people uh, that age. I know it was for me. And I know that it would be really good for anyone you know that's got kids that age for those kids to come listen to this. Uh, let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We come before you today confessing that we are sinful and unholy creatures. We do things that we should not do. We don't do things that we should do. We let temptations sink into our lives, creating hostility between you and us and each other. We fail you because of our selfish desires and we disappoint our brothers and sisters because of our lack of concern for each other. We ask, Father, that you would forgive us and that your spirit would work in our lives. Help us to be quick to listen to each other, slow and thoughtful in responding, not to become angry with each other. Give us a spirit of unity that allows us to work together in peace. We thank you for Jesus, for the life that he lived as an example for how we should live and for the life that he gave as a sacrifice for our sins. Father, we ask that you would bless each member of this church. Put a desire within each of us to spread the good news of Jesus to teach our kids and grandkids about you and to live a life that shows the love, your love to the world. Father, we pray that you would be with us with the seminar that we're putting on next weekend. Father, we pray that it'll be successful, that much good will come from it, that many will come, and many will learn about you and how your Bible and how science that they teach now is sometimes different and how the, the Bible reflects true science, how you created this world. Father, we have many here that are sick and suffering. We ask that you would be with Callie and Rachel Huff and that you'd be with my dad, Clinton Cole. Pray that you'd be with Candy Hilliard and Aiden O'Donnell, grandson of Leanne Wilkinson, Jim Gibson's great niece, Abby Andrews. Father, be with the Wicks family. Be with Willa and, and David's grandson, Eli. And be with Kelly Plunk, friend of Scotty Albritton. And, and Father, be with Mary and David Reynolds. Father, I pray that you would give each of these people healing and peace and comfort. Father, today we want to praise your name and honor you. We proclaim that you are our God and that we want to be your people. Help us to open our hearts to receive your word as Bill preaches it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Jesus truly was above all. He was before the world began. And yet he humbled himself and came to earth. Ultimately, he shed his blood for our sins. He was crucified and he was laid behind that stone. He asks us to remember that death and that sacrifice. This song will remind us of that great love. Above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're Above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were there before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wisdom the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the from Revelation chapter 21, which gives us a glimpse of things to come. Beginning in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then in verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it, Nothing impure will ever come in, will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Of course, this expresses a great deal about our hope and our expectation. And in verse 7, he says, those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children and we can be among those who are victorious because Christ paid the price for our sins we can't earn it ourselves we can't be good enough because, but the price has already been paid the victory has already been won. And if we follow our Christ, our Lord, our Master, then we can be victorious. And we celebrate this every Sunday when we participate in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate his death, his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. And we celebrate the great expectation and hope we have for enjoying all of those wonderful things in heaven. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for sending your son to save us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that you shower down on us every day. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to participate in this feast which honors and memorializes our Lord and Savior who died on the cross. And as we partake of the bread that represents his body, may we think of those things and may we honor and glorify you by every thought that we have in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pray with me again. Father, we're so thankful for the power that's in the blood that Jesus shed on that cross. Powerful enough to cleanse each and every one of us, not of some of our sins, but of all of our sins. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you love us that much. And we pray that we might honor and glorify you with our lives and that we might remember the great sacrifice that you paid and that Christ paid as he hang on that cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The wonderful blessings that we have in Christ and the great expectation that we have are so much greater than the things we experience in this life. But at the same time, we can't overlook the fact that we have 
so many blessings. We have, especially in this country, we have the opportunity to earn and, and to provide for our families in a very luxurious way. And we have the opportunity to contribute this morning to the work of God's kingdom and for spreading the gospel throughout the world and for helping those who are in need. And as you have an opportunity, may we be generous and gracious in our giving. Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you for the many material blessings that you give us every day. And we pray, Father, that you will bless the elders and the leaders of this church as they decide how to best use the monies that we give so that they will help those who are in need and teach your gospel, spread your gospel to those who need it so badly. For we pray through Christ. Amen. Please stand for this next song. The children can leave for their uh, blast class at this time. I love to tell the story. Acts 18, as it states under the, high, the title of the song here, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. We have a preacher here that's not afraid. And he is so willing and he is so capable of telling us uh, that great, great story. And we're very blessed, Bill, to have you. I love to tell the story. <clears throat> I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it is true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it, more wonderful and sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, it will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. I love to tell the story, it will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Please be seated.
there is room on my tombstone, then the chorus of that song is what will be there. You know, the Boy Scout motto is what? Be prepared. Right. Boy Scout motto is be prepared. And so I have a a slide here. I was in the Cub Scouts and in the Boy Scouts. And and so uh, see if you can pick out little Billy uh, from Royal Gates fourth grade class in 1966 and 1967. Uh, yes, I'm the one in the Cub Scout uniform, pretty much that's shorter than every other person in that picture, perhaps with the exception of Lisa Blackburn, who is on the uh, lower right, as you're looking at it. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about Lisa Blackburn. Um, the Boy Scout motto is be prepared. I didn't finish Boy Scouts, one of my few regrets in life actually, although I understand completely uh, why it didn't happen. I got up to the rank of life scout, which is right under Eagle, needed to do a few more merit badges, a few couple of projects, and I would have finished uh, that Eagle uh, scout assignment. But uh, uh, there were other things going on in my life, and so I, something had to go, and it was, ended up being uh, Boy Scouts. But I loved my, my experience there. On a good day, I can still recite the Boy Scout oath and the Boy Scout law, which, as you know, is a whole lot of, of items. Um, but all of us uh, remember that motto, be prepared. And to be good bad guys, we must be prepared. In this sermon series that we just began a couple of weeks ago, Um, we're talking about being good bad guys. Not bad guys in the eyes of the Lord. Good guys in the eyes of the Lord, of course. Um, But bad guys in the eyes of of many in the world. Not even bad guys in the eyes of all of the world. Uh, Many in our community, many in this country still, look to Christ and to Christians and to Scripture as good things. I realize that. But not everybody. And perhaps more than ever before, and especially they're being more vocal about that opposition. For many, uh, those who uh, name the name of Christ, those who uh, seek to fulfill and live their lives according to the teaching of the inspired word of God, the Bible, uh, they're not only seen as bad guys, but as evil (laughs) in some circles. And so we we understand that, and as we've seen in this study, that that shouldn't surprise us at all, because first of all, Jesus was considered a bad guy. You don't crucify people you think are good guys, and that's what happened to him. Uh, The first century Christians that we read about in the pages of the Bible in the New Testament, they were considered bad guys after a very brief time. Uh, After that, the Jewish community, the pagan community, the Romans, uh, the Greeks, they all... uh, came in against Christians and sought to destroy Christianity. And it was actually that way for almost 300 years, longer than the United States has even been in existence. That thought still makes me stop in my tracks. We think we have it so horrible now. They had it far worse than we have it now. Um, And they had it for longer than our country has been in existence doesn't uh, make light of the seriousness of our day and time. It's just to say, why is it that we would be surprised that not everybody goes along with our Christian faith and our Christian convictions and that some even try to silence them? But we want to be good bad guys. If there are those in our community, in our nation, in our world that consider Christians and the church to be bad guys, then let's be the best bad guys we can be. And that's where this series is coming from, trying to figure out how to do that, how to be faithful to God in the midst of a community, in the midst of a culture, in the midst of a society that is not only unsympathetic to those values, but in, in, in many times opposes those values. Um, so how do we be good bad guys? How do we live that way? And we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks ahead. We have our wonderful seminar this coming Sunday 
And then in the next several weeks before we get to Thanksgiving, we, uh, we're going to be looking at how to do that, how to be good, bad guys. And that really starts with this message today, and the message is we should be prepared. We should be prepared. But be prepared for what? Be prepared for what, and, and how do we do that? Well, those are some of the things that we'll, again, talk about some today, but also in the weeks ahead. So a few things today. First of all, be prepared to confess. Be prepared to confess. And that word confess can mean different things to different people. To acknowledge, uh, uh, to assert, to witness, used as a verb. Uh, to witness to someone or something, to testify. Be prepared to confess, but confess what? Acknowledge what? Witness to what? Testify to what? That's what we'll be sharing about uh, today. And as our shepherd, Ken uh, Culpepper, alluded to in that great passage in Romans chapter 1 that speaks to the pagan world and says they would not confess allegiance to the creator. Rather, they confess with their lives, their actions, even their words at times, allegiance to the creature, ultimately allegiance to themselves. We spoke about that some last week. Scripture, however, does not give us any leeway on this one. And it starts with the very words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Where Jesus says, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And if you deny me before others, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. And again, we're tempted to think, oh yeah, but sure, sure they could confess. I mean, Jesus was there, the disciples were there, they had each other, they had all these miracles, everything was going their way. Of course they could confess, no. Read all of Matthew 10. Because in Matthew 10, Jesus warns them, people are not going to accept your message and they're not going to accept you. They are going to violently oppose you, in fact. Later on in the Gospel of John, he would say, there there are going to be people who will kill you thinking they are doing service to God. That's how bad it was. Again, for 300 years, it was exactly that bad. It's that bad in some places in our world today, not here in this country, thankfully. But it is in other places, and it's difficult here. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus tells them, if you are willing to confess me before others, I will confess you before the Father. To confess, yes, you are a believer. Yes, this is what you believe. Yes, you are my disciple. Yes, you are my follower. Yes, you believe that I am Lord. For a while before the Emperor Constantine, the Romans would gather up the Christians and they would say, repeat after me, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would not. Instead, they would say, Jesus is Lord and they would be killed for it. If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. We need to be prepared to confess. And we spoke of the word witnesses, and that's the word in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's the Acts 1 version of the Great Commission that we read about in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 and Luke 24 and And in in Acts 1 verse 8, Luke records Jesus saying just before his ascension that you are to be my witnesses where you live and then in the surrounding areas and then to the very ends of the world. You are to be my witness. What does a witness do? Well, a witness testifies. A witness confesses what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have experienced, what they know. And Jesus told us, his disciples, that that's what we're to do. And for the the rest of the book of Acts, we see that lived out (laughs) in the lives of the first century Christians. And many of them paid a price for that. Beaten, put in jail, even killed. 
Doesn't go too far in the book of Acts before we see that. In chapters 3 and 4, Peter and John are brought before the authorities because of a wonderful miracle that they did to alleviate a man being lame. And then in chapter 5, all of the apostles are arrested and are beaten and flogged. And we read about that wonderful sermon of the first Christian martyr, one of those faithful seven chosen in Acts chapter 6, Stephen. And he paid the price for that sermon with his life, being stoned to death. Just a few chapters later, the first apostle is killed, James, the brother of John, in Acts chapter 12. They were prepared to confess. We need to be prepared to confess as well, to acknowledge we believe. Not be proud about it, not be arrogant about it, but not be shy about it either. And certainly not deny it. Even if we have to pay a price bill, yeah, sure, of course. And we'll say more about that in a moment. Even if we, even if we might lose some friends or lose popularity or even lose position in my job, be prepared to confess, to confess. Secondly, be prepared to answer. That builds on that. What do we confess? <laughs> well, be prepared to answer. And we turn to that great passage in 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. The books of 1 and 2 Peter are written to Christians in the first century who were at the bottom of the social scale. They were immigrants. They had had to leave the area of Palestine because of the persecution led by the apostle, or soon to be apostle, but the Jewish leader Saul of Tarsus, soon to become Paul, the apostle. But before then, before that road to Damascus experience, before that baptism that he has as he becomes a Christian in the city of Damascus, he was trying to destroy the church, and so they fled. They fled. Well, some of them went up to the areas of the northern, central, or or western part of modern-day Turkey, and that's likely who uh, Peter is writing to in First and Second Peter. And as they went there, they had nothing, they had no money, they had no jobs, they had no family, they had no place in that area, but that's where they went. And so now how do they, how do they live at the very bottom of their community with nothing? And so Peter talks to them about that in First and Second Peter, and especially First Peter, he talks a lot about being persecuted and how to live when you're persecuted. How do you submit to a government that is antagonistic to your values? How do you serve a community that does not, not only does not appreciate that that service, but actually holds you in contempt for it? How how do you do that? That's what 1 Peter is about. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. After telling them, don't worry about the people who can do you physical harm. But he says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. How do we respond to that? People who treat us maliciously, people who slander us. It's the same way. We live with hope. (laughs) And when we do that in an environment that is not conducive to that at all, but actually is in opposition to that, people notice we stand out. Not because we're tooting our own horns, but because we're just living life in the midst of wherever we are, but we live it with hope. And in our communities and in our society today, is that not needed more than anything? People with hope? People who acknowledge the difficulty of the times and everything that we're going through as a nation and yet at the same time live with hope. That hope that uh, uh, Danny Skipper read from, 
read about from Revelation 21 and 22, where we see that picture of what it means to have the presence of Christ in the midst of persecution. That is our hope. It's why we love those great heaven songs so much. Hope. I know whom I have believed it, as Paul told Timothy. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Do we really believe that? And if we do, we will live with hope, no matter what the external circumstances look like. And when we live with hope, people will ask us about that hope. And so we need to be prepared to answer. That's what Peter tells them, and that's what he tells us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Because if you do it in arrogance, if you do it proudly, if you do it with a chip on your shoulder, they will know and it will be meaningless what you say. If your goal is to win an argument, you might win some of those, but if your goal is to help someone become closer to the one who died for them, you're going to have to take a different turn. One of gentleness and respect, even with someone you completely disagree with, Gentleness, respect, consideration, love. They may speak against you, they may treat you horribly, but your good behavior, your conduct, your love will be your response. And that great ending to the second letter of Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, as he cautions us about those who would come to us and, and have doctrine that is not true in opposition to us and the things that we're teaching. Second Peter 3 verses 17 and 18, therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But instead of that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Be prepared to confess. Be prepared to answer. And again, how do we do that? Well, 1 Peter 3 said we do that with gentleness and respect. 2 Peter 3 says we do that with grace and with knowledge. If all we have is grace and we don't have the knowledge, we're not prepared. And we won't be able to answer the questions. And that's why our seminar coming up is so vital and so important and so timely. It will help us be prepared to answer with knowledge. But if we answer with knowledge and no grace, then we're not speaking the truth in love, as Paul tells us in much the same context in Ephesians 4. We may have all the knowledge, and it can be uh, the truth that we speak, but if it's not in love, and if it's not with grace, it's not biblical, and it's not Christ-like, and it's not effective. But we can speak with grace and truth. We can act with consideration and respect and knowledge. We can do that. We can be prepared to answer. And we see a great example of that in the Apostle Paul. As Luke records in Acts chapter 9, he was uh, face-to-face with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded and prayed and fasted, repented for three days in the city. And then Ananias comes to him in chapter 22, verse 16, and says, What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It means to believe and repent and confess and be baptized. How do we wash our sins away? Same way. Same way. And so they talk to Paul and they challenge him and they arrest him and he's given a chance to defend himself in Acts 22 and 26 and he is prepared to answer. But it's not with high theology. It's with his story. Here's what happened to me. Here's why I believe. Here's why I'm acting the way I'm acting. See, I was going into Damascus one time. I was... I was a horrible person. I was persecuting the church. I was putting people in jail, having them beaten. I was there when people were killed. And then Jesus came face to face with me. 
My eyes were blinded, and I asked him what to do, and he said, go into the city, and it'll be told you what you should do. And so I did, and I prayed and fasted for three days and three nights, and then a man, a Christian man by the name of Ananias came, and he told me, get up, Paul, you're going to do great things for the Lord Jesus, but first get up and wash away your sins by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul defends himself. That's how he was prepared to answer. And so a few things. Be prepared to answer the question, why are you a Christian? Someone comes to you today and asks you, why are you a Christian? What would you say? What would you say? If someone comes to you today and wants to hear that story, be prepared to give your elevator speech, (laughs) your elevator pitch. You know what that is, right? It's if you're trapped in an elevator with somebody and you're going a few floors and it takes you maybe two minutes, can you tell them in that amount of time? Now, Joyce's mom, my mother-in-law, I love her. I loved her deeply. She's been gone for several years now, but she could be on an elevator with someone for one or two or three floors. And by the time that elevator stopped, she knew everything about them. (laughs) And if it was a hospital elevator, they knew everything about her and why exactly she was there. What's your elevator pitch when it comes to why you're a Christian? What would you say in just that few minutes time that you have with somebody? And so be prepared to tell your story. I love to tell the story of Jesus and his love. Be prepared to tell your story. What do you mean, Bill? Well, it's very simple. It's a three-part sermon. (laughs) Your life before Christ, how you became a Christian, and your life after becoming a Christian. And that's it. Yes, you'll need to direct them and take them to some scriptures sometime. And maybe you can do that. Maybe you can call on someone else to do that. But you tell them your story. Here's, Here's how things were in my life before I came to know Christ. And here's exactly how I became a Christian. Man, that river water was cold. That creek was cold. Some of you could tell that part. Or some of us could say, man, that baptistry was cold. (laughs) There was a whole church gathered there. It was on a Sunday morning. I'll never forget it. There were three or four people gathered there. It was on a Thursday night after a Bible study. I'll never forget it. It was at camp. It was one of the most marvelous experiences of my life. It was because of the influence I saw in my grandfather, my grandmother, my wife, my husband my Bible school teacher. Tell them your story, your life before Christ, how you became a Christian, and then how Jesus has been there for you since. And be prepared to respond to a few typical pushback questions. You know, you don't have to know the answer to everything they might ask. Do what I do. Get a real blank look on your face, kind of shake your head a little bit back and forth and say, I don't know. And they will respect you for that. And that'll be okay. And you can say, but let's find out together. Over the next several days, let's, let's find out. Be prepared to respond to a few typical pushback questions. What's one of the ones that's very common today? Why is this the word of God? How does Genesis survive in the presence of organic evolution? Where do the dinosaurs fit in in the message of the scriptures? All of those questions are going to be a part of our seminar this coming weekend by someone who has been studying this for years. We all need to be here for that. And we have 249 people, including 32 children, signed up to be here on Saturday. Saturday. The vast majority are members of our church family here But perhaps 30 or so, maybe more of those are from 14 or 15 different families that aren't members here. And so when we say, please, uh, please be considerate as you park, we do mean that. Now, if you're one of our elderly members, if you have some uh, physical issues, please park close. (laughs) But if you're able-bodied and strong, or maybe at least (laughs) able-bodied, Feel free to park a little bit further away from the door if you don't mind. 
and it would be very much appreciated. We're going to have a big crowd on Saturday. We're going to have an even bigger crowd on Sunday. And we're going to hear very helpful information that can allow us to be prepared to confess, be prepared to respond, be prepared to join in the discussion that people might be having even though we're scared to death. Be prepared to join in because our faith is a credible faith. I personally believe that our faith in Jesus and the God of the Bible is much more credible than someone whose faith is in all of this starting without some intelligent maker. We'll hear more about that this coming weekend. Not too late to register. Brochures on the table in the back. If you're a mind to it, we're going to meet up here this evening at 5 o'clock to help our Family Life Center and our foyer and our children's wing be better prepared for this weekend. But please come. We will live stream it. But the live stream will not be able to have these cool little uh, PowerPoint slides on it because of copyright issues. So if you can be here in person, it will be a much greater effect. But if you can't, we will certainly have it on live stream as well. Be prepared to confess. Be prepared to answer. Thirdly, be prepared to trust. Be prepared to trust. You say, Bill, I just, I just don't know if I can join in that discussion. I don't, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel competent. I don't feel confident at all. Listen to the words of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. What's that saying? That's saying that as you're prepared to confess and to answer. You trust God in that process. And God has promised his word will not come back empty. His word will accomplish everything he intends it to accomplish. No matter how inadequate the messenger might be, doesn't give us permission not to be as prepared as we can be. It's just to say, I do not trust in myself in this process. I trust in my God. Just like what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. I planted the seed, this great, marvelous, wonderful preacher and speaker. Apollos watered it, but what? God gave the increase. God made it grow. And my dear brothers and sisters, whatever your attempts might be to put that word of God out there, he will make it grow. It will not return to him empty. He has promised that. And we believe it. We are to live by faith. Habakkuk 2 says, 2 Corinthians 5 says, and the writer in the book of Hebrews really takes that passage in Habakkuk 2. And he quotes it at the end of Hebrews chapter 10 to a people who are being persecuted, to a people he had told it's going to get worse before it gets better. My righteous ones will live by faith. They will trust me, even when it doesn't seem to make very much sense. And then he introduces all of those great heroes of faith in Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. Those first few chapters, first few verses in chapter 12, he ends with the best example of all, Jesus Christ himself. Be prepared to suffer, to risk, to lose in the short term. God has the long term. Revelation 21 and 22 affirm that. The whole book of Revelation does. All of scripture does. But God has the short term too. He may not take care of you the way you would like or the way you expect. But he's there. He's present and he's working. So as we close today, we want everyone to be prepared to be with the Lord forever. That's what we want. And again, we'll be talking more in the weeks ahead about how to be good bad guys. But we want everyone to be prepared to be with the Lord forever. This plaque that you see there is a, my personal mission statement. That plaque was made by our wonderful 
children's minister, my, our dear friend Donnie Cook, as she did that for all of us on staff as we were sharing a, a while back some of the scriptures that mean a great deal to each of us. And she took our scriptures and she made a plaque for each of us, and this one's mine. From my personal mission statement in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all the power that Christ has in me, his energy that people can see in us, not because we answer everything perfectly, but because we proclaim him. And why do we do that? Because we want to present everyone perfect in Christ. That's our goal. That's the message of all of those scriptures that you see on the outline. And what does that mean? Like a rose trampled on the ground. Christ took the fall. And thought of me above all. This morning, if you need to come to that Christ, we want you to and we want to help you do that. Come as we stand and sing our song together.